How often in life does that happen to us? How often is there something far more out there than what we actually see? How often does that happen to us in our life of faith? How often does that happen to us as we understand the gospel? How often does that happen to us as we look to Jesus? How often does that happen to us when we think of the central aspects of our faith? I think it happens a lot more than we like to admit. And as I was listening to Ben this morning share with the kids, I thought some of what we're missing is that wonder, that energy that kids bring. Too often, we just see a finger when the whole heavens are there for us to see. It's clear we live in an individualistic culture, and we as a church recognize the need for community. But I think all too often when we say that word community, we see the tip of the finger. We think community is our friends. We think it is the church that we have gathered together here as on Sunday morning. And yes, it is that, but it is so much more. It is the group of churches through Nanaimo. It is the group of churches throughout this country. And it is indeed the group of churches throughout the world but it is even more than that. The community, that is the people of God, exists not just geographically now, but throughout all of history. That community is vast. It is vast like the stars are vast. And last week, Chelsea did a brilliant job of helping us see that we as a community of God extend throughout history. And she did this by challenging us to see some of the most difficult aspects of our history as the people of God. To look back and see the sins that we as a community have committed and specifically those sins to indigenous people and the way we as a community have treated them. But being a community throughout history is not just about looking back and seeing the mistakes and sins that we as a community have made. It is about looking back and seeing the gifts, the treasures that the community has for us. And so there is much that can be gleaned by looking to the past, to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Books, writings, music. There are also practices that the church historically has found useful. And how often do we say, well, now this is us and we have our own ways of doing things because this works for us. I think we miss something when we shut ourselves off from the past. 
One of the things that the church has found helpful throughout its history is to read Scripture together. Not just as a group of people gathering together, but as a group of people throughout history. And so we are given the lectionary. That is a grouping of readings that churches read regularly together. And so you will see in your worship package the lectionary readings for the season of Advent. These are readings that we as a church here at Christ Community are going to be reading, but these are also readings that have been read down through history and will be read around the world. It helps us to see the community that is larger than what we see right here. It forms a bigger part of the teachings of the church, and specifically the teaching and practice of the liturgical year. These are practices that the church has found enriching, practices that have helped the church draw closer to Jesus, to see what Jesus is doing, and to grow. And so as we enter into the season of Advent, that is the beginning of the Christian year, this is not something that Pastor Chelsea just thought, hey, this would be a good idea that Christ community should do. This is something that the church has done for hundreds of years. Something that has helped shape the church. And so as we begin the new year, we are entering into something far larger than ourselves. Advent is the beginning. It is the anticipation of the arrival of Christ. What I find interesting is that the Christian church and specifically the Christian calendar, begins with anticipation. It doesn't begin with the birth of Christ, to say Christ is here and now this is the life that we are called to live. The church has found it helpful to actually begin from the place of anticipating, recognizing that in waiting there is something to learn. In waiting, there is something that will happen to us. Something that will help us appreciate who Jesus is and what he is doing in our lives. The purpose in waiting is to see Christ. To see him in his wholeness. To not just see the finger point, but to begin to see some planets, some stars to begin to see that expanse that is out there. Now, the lectionary readings that are given for this, the first Sunday in Advent, cover this aspect of waiting. Waiting for the gift of Jesus. The passage that we are going to look at today specifically comes from Isaiah chapter 64, And it runs from verses 1 through 9. Isaiah 64, 1 through 9. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence 
as when the fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries and that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear, no eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. You meet him who joyfully works righteousness, those who remember you in their ways. Behold, you were angry and we sinned. In our sins we have been a long time, and shall we be saved? We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. There is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay and you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. Behold, please look, we are all your people. This is the word of the Lord. I am not a particularly patient person. My mom is smiling. I knew she would do that. She knows me well. I have friends that uh, refer to me as Captain No Patience. I have friends who have the experience of showing up late to meet me somewhere, and I'm not there because I've left without them. Waiting is not something I do well. I don't like waiting. I like to act and get things done, and keep things moving along. But there is something that happens in waiting. Something that God is teaching us. Something that we can learn from God in this passage when we look at it. Now, there are three parts that I want to look at in this passage. And they break into three sections. And I've generally called them problem, scope of problem, and solution. And each one of those involves waiting. There's no question we can look around the world and see no end of problems. We can look around and we can say, God, why don't you do something? We can be impatient. We can wonder, why is God not acting and looking after that problem? And this is exactly the situation that our passage here begins with. The writer is living in exile in Babylon after Jerusalem has fallen in the year 586 B.C., He is away from his homeland. He's separated from the community. He is separated from uh, his family. The world is falling apart. And what's his response? God, come down and make your name known. 
May the nations tremble. This is the point the author is making. This is the point he's calling out and saying, God, do something. This point is emphasized by the way this is actually structured literally. Now, it's not a way that we traditionally, as Western readers, read uh, texts. But there is a structure here that is not readily apparent. But if you have the eyes to look and the eyes to wonder, it comes out. And it's used regularly throughout Scripture, particularly in the Psalms and Isaiah. And it's what is called a chiastic structure. And what this means is that there are paired parts. So there are corresponding passages that work together and they work together into the middle. And so in this case, if you look in verse 1, you will see he's calling uh, God to come down that the mountains might tremble. And then if you look again at the end of verse 3, you'll see come down that the mountains might tremble. So that's a pair. Then if you move in, there's a second pair that are there. The second pair comes at the beginning of verse 2, where the writer says, As when fire kindles brushwood and causes, and fire causes water to boil. And if you look again at the beginning of verse 3, when you did awesome things that we did not look for. Speaking of the strength of God and the things that God can do. Two pairs. And then, in the middle, between those two pairs, you have the second part of verse 2. To make your name known to your adversaries, and that the nations might tremble at your presence. This structure is focusing in on that point, to give emphasis to it. Is this not our passion, that God come and do something? When we look at the tragedies in our world, when we look at the problems we face, do we not say, God, come do something? I remember on September 11th, 2001, that very distinctly being my prayer, watching those events and just thinking, I've had enough. I can't believe this. God, come and do something. Why doesn't God act? There's this anticipation. There's this frustration. Why does this continue on? How much longer must we endure? Why do we have to wait? And so we come to the second part. The second part of what God is teaching us and showing us here. We come to see that in waiting, God is actually working and revealing something. He is not saying that problem doesn't exist. He is asking us to see the scope of the problem that is actually before us. You read in verse 4. 
No eye has seen a God beside you who acts for those who wait on him. You meet those who joyfully works righteousness, those who remember you in your ways. But you know what they say. Be careful what you wish for. In begging God to come down and do something, the writer comes to a startling, a startling point. Confession. A recognition that the problem is not just out there in others. The problem is not off on the other side of the world. The problem is not at the other end of town. The problem is in here. In here as individuals. In here as a community. It is these collective sins that are hard for us to see. And in the waiting, in our frustration, God is calling us to see the scope of the problem. He is calling us to see beyond just the finger point, to see the heavens that are up there. We can look around at the world. We can see the problems of oppressive governments. We can see the threat of nuclear war. We can see the tragedy of ISIS. God says, yes, I know. But see the scope of it. I remember being in the chapel service at Regent College following September 11th. And Rod Wilson, the president of Regent College, giving reflections on how we as a church should respond to those events. And one of the things he said stuck with me, and it makes this point. He said, I don't need to look for evil in a cave in Afghanistan. I get to see it every morning when I look in the mirror. And that's not to say that it's not over there. But it's to say it's right here. And so God, in his patience, in not coming down and dealing with these things right away, is inviting us in to see the world as he sees it in all of its entirety. And I believe this is one of the fundamental reasons why God makes us wait. It's actually a mercy to us because it helps us stop seeing the other and helps us start seeing the us. God is going to act. God does not look out and see these problems and go, yeah, you're just seeing a little bit of it. It's far bigger than that. Good luck with it and leave. No. God is 
about the solution. This is not a message that just takes us to a deeper and darker place and leaves us there. The point of Advent is to prepare us. That we can recognize what it is that Jesus is actually coming to fix. What it is that Jesus and God is actually doing in our midst. And so we come to the solution. Look what the writer says. Verse 8. But now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you are the potter. We are the work of your hand. Notice the communal language that is used here. Us. Our. Family language. A father. There's the metaphor of a potter with clay. We are the clay and God shapes the clay, molds the clay. My tendency is to want to go fix things myself, to see the problems in this world, to say, okay, how am I going to fix it? And God's saying, I'm going to fix you. I'm going to fix you individually. I am going to fix us collectively as a community. I am going to mold you through history so that these problems can be addressed. And this is exactly what we've seen how God has worked through history. God rescued the world from total annihilation by enlisting Noah and his family. When God wanted to bless the earth, he enlisted the help of Abraham and Sarah. And when Jesus came, he enlisted the help of his disciples. God is acting. God is inviting us in to his solution. A solution that lays us open to his crafting to his care, to the change that he is making in us as a community. As we enter this season of Advent, we are called to wait. But we can be distracted. We can be distracted to see it as four weeks until Christmas. This is a countdown for us to get everything done on our list and to be as busy as we possibly can. We can be tempted to make this stressful. We can be tempted to see it as a huge aggravation. But as we begin the Christian year, we begin from a place of waiting, asking God to prepare us that we may receive the gifts that he has for us. Advent is about waiting. It is about anticipation. It is about time for us to reflect not only on the problems of the world, but how we, individually and as a community, 
are part of those problems. And so in closing, I want to take a moment to pray that we may name those problems that we see and rest and wait and ask God to show us the scope of those problems. So let us pray. God, as we enter this season of Advent, we can look at the world around us and we can cry out as the writer of Isaiah did and said, God, come and do something. God, we can look at the threat of nuclear war And we say, God, do something. Lord, as we wait, help us to see the scope of that problem. God, as we consider oppressed people, whether they be entire nations or people sold into slavery or people living in abusive relationships. Lord, as we wait, help us to see our part. Lord, as we look at our community locally and our community globally and see so many going without, Lord, help us to wait and help us to see our own sin. Lord, as we wait, as we consider these issues and so many more, help us to see our need for you. For God, you are the one who comes to those who wait. So God, come, shape us, mold us as a potter molds clay. Mold us into the beautiful vessels that you are making us into be. Help us to live in the hope of your goodness. 
Help us to trust in you and know that you will act. We pray this in your name. Amen.